0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off.
1: They never got home,
2: they never go home, they never go home, those those
3: It's,
4: yeah, they have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh, you can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be
3: like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want know? like you to stay alive for
1: six days. to like this? I would say it to your face, not say it to you, I'm not saying what to what you now. Mean? I'm what down to my field and we'll see them, What you doing down here? You're showing me,
4: man. You're very welcome to the Irish Times, second captain's football podcast with all my dad and Ken, this is your bit. Owen, how are you doing? Good I'm to good. see you. And hopefully Murph will hit his line. Good afternoon, yes. Owen and Ken. are all doing great. Martin O'Neill's the Ireland bandwagon is back on the rails, guys, after Tuesday night's thumping of Jürgen Kinsman's no-hoper American boys. Ken, you were pleased with what you saw from Ireland?
5: How could you not be pleased, Owen, when you see uh, the mighty uh, United States humbled in such a manner? The,
2: uh,
4: um, the, the eagle plucked.
5: The US eagle. Um, yeah, I mean, sad to see in a way. What? Uh, the
4: eagle being plucked. Well, nobody likes to see uh, physically
5: uh, there'll be a, a bird of such uh, such majesty. grandeur, exactly to be uh, to be reduced to such a state. Uh, I mean, at the end, you know, I, there were almost tears in my eyes. What was it you were saying, Karen? Oh, Neil, call off your dogs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was a little hard to watch. It was
2: disgusting the way Ireland behaved in that second half. I felt, to be honest, I mean, there's a way to win yeah. with a bit of class <laughs> and our relentless. Hunt for goals. Yeah, just it was disgusting. I mean, it was you know it kind of reminded me on our lads of just the Celtic Tiger. You know that, that mentality. You know, that, yeah. I mean, like, have we learned nothing? Well, it's roaring again, of course, Murph. Yeah, I mean, have we have we learned
4: nothing as a society?
2: Mm. You know.
5: So it was uh, it was pleasing. It was very it was pleasing dis- for me. Well, we'll look ahead
4: to Arsenal Man United later on. Cause it's a big game in the Premier League at the weekend, and Ken will reveal his lack of respect. For the band, the England supporters band, who got themselves into hot, we well, can reveal it now, I guess. Ken, and then we'll talk to talk to John Bruin about this later on because he was at Celtic Park in Tuesday. Yeah. What happened here?
5: Um, well, oh, people the, will probably be aware of it. It's the idiotic England band. Um, you know, they they go to all the games and they play tunes which are completely out of keeping with the tempo of a football match, in my opinion. Certainly, the way England try to play. Has nothing to do with the tempo that that's being set by this band. In this case, what it is wrong. In this instance, they were they provided musical accompaniment to thousands of English fans who were singing a chant uh, about the IRA, expressing their uh, contempt, their scorn for that uh, defunct (laughs) paramilitary organisation, or at least dormant.
2: The um, yeah, I mean the England band, the team band. Mm. is an idea very much borrowed, I think, from cricket. Is it? Where, I, I would say I would say so. I think that the England cricket band is in, in existence. But they also have an unbelievable, the self-regard of the England cricket band mm. is beggar's belief. Really? Yeah, I mean, it. it this is a real thing. You know, are the, they
4: part of the Barmy Army now, or would they be separate from... They would be the, the Barmy Army. They, they
2: actually are. They encapsulate yeah, everything that's, that's great f- about the Barmy Army. That's yes, it. You've hit the nail... On the head. But do you
5: know what type of uh, songs they play? What's their. The Great Escape and. Ah, no, you're kidding me. Not The Great Escape.
4: Yeah, 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 just non stop. Yeah.
5: I thought that was just the football band.
4: No, no, no. So so, so some England supporters started chanting anti IRA songs and the band took this up. Is um, that
5: what happened? The band were playing the the tune and the. to which there's usually different words. It's the same tune, you know. Another uh, you know one. Yeah, I think so. Versatile football chant. If it, it <laughs> ends, if it ends this this
2: segment, then. But yes, this right. is uh, officially sanctioned. Well, uh, officially sanctioned by the FA. Is that?
4: I don't know. Oh, there, oh, hang on. You mean, you mean the band? Yeah. I not that. Not the band striking up. Uh,
5: no, no, I mean, no, I, I'm sure the, the FA tried. We were like, no, please stop. God, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, they, they, they just were playing this uh, music. And the fact that the fans all around were singing these alternative words didn't affect the band. They are like, well, we couldn't hear. Her. We didn't realise. <laughs> Which I find a little implausible. I you know the
2: way that thing where it, musical instruments accompanying songs means that you can't hear the, any of the lyrics? That's yeah. how it goes, right?
5: They just got so carried away into the music. Mm. that uh, they they lost um, awareness of their surroundings.
4: We'll get to that a little bit later on, but it's time now for Kennedy's report on sport.
5: So let's start with the Ireland against the United States. Um, had time to think about what happened there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the great thing about this was seeing new players come into the team and immediately make an impact. I mean, I can't remember the last time a guy came in and looked so effective on his first performance for Ireland as, um, as David McGoldrick. Yeah. Um, after just a few minutes, he splits the American defence with a through ball. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Pilkington runs on, chips the keeper. It's a Dennis Bergkamp goal. He then sets up another Bergkamp. He does another Bergkamp in the second half to set up Robbie Brady. Robbie Brady, who's got more time and space than any Irish player I've ever seen in a penalty area, yeah. To uh, as a result of this little pass by McGoldrick, which wrong-foots the entire American defence. Uh, to score his first goal of the game, and an amazing free kick then from Brady. Um, Brady obviously isn't a new player, but it kind of felt like, okay, this is, you know, here he is, he's playing this match at left-back, and um, he's far superior at left-back to Stephen Ward. Far superior. And I mean, he can't defend, really. He doesn't really defend. I mean, there was a moment in the first half where um, Alex Pierce, who was playing with Kieran Clark at central defence, had to... Head away a uh, ball at the back post under a lot of pressure because Brady had effectively just watched an American run to the byline and cross. You know he didn't. He's not a fullback. He he's gonna balls are gonna come into the box from that side if Robbie Brady is your fullback. But against that, he's not gonna pass the ball to the opposition every time he gets the ball, and his dead ball delivery is brilliant. I well, mean, it's not just dead ball delivery. It's it's his 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 ball striking in general. is Yeah, fantastic. Th- th- this
4: is one thing that bothers me about Stephen Ward with well, me it's not, it's not the man's fault I mean but he's not uh, when you just you're lose you're, as you say the, the ball, there's no constructive play and you're a full back that's fine you don't necessarily have to be the most skillful player in the team but for a guy who I think was a striker in his early career yeah. I'm always quite surprised at the, the lack of finesse that he has going forward he seems very ha- harried all the time when he's trying to carry the ball defensively I don't know if he's if he's too bad. I mean, um,
5: I don't, I don't think he's great. I mean, there was that whole thing—the Gibraltar, ha- the the Gibraltar dressing room. Apparently, the tactics ward was still there at the end, and you know their their tactics written up.
4: Target Stephen Ward.
5: Yeah, Ward is the weak link. Gibraltar, you know that's, you know, I mean, obviously, so you're saying there might be much of a Ward. Difference to certainly Gibraltar certainly to, didn't yeah. succeed in exposing Ward. That's true, but. I don't think there is a. I don't think there is much of a difference defensively. defensively, and then obviously
4: going forward. Well,
5: I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, defensively, p- keeping possession is is also a good defending. Mm-hmm. You no, know, if you don't give the ball away, then you are
2: <laughs> you are not going to have to defend again. for A exactly. few seconds,
5: and I think I think Brady's much better there. But we've also, uh, it turns out, got a good fullback option in Christie yeah. Cyrus Christie. Um, now, the first part of the match, he didn't stand out too much. I mean. Uh, the Americans were probably marginally better in the first half, even though we scored first. Um, they came back quite strongly. They had a lot of corners. We didn't see much of Christie going forward, um, but not a lot came down his side. Um, in the second half, he played really well. He was fantastic. It wasn't just, um, I mean, there were some lovely touches on the ball, little um, dribbles past uh, He looked good opponent. as well.
4: I kind of thought, this guy looks... Big, like strong. He looks, yeah, he's a strapping lad.
5: Um, and some nice passes down the line as well so he's combining well with the guys in front of him now whether he can play left back I don't know I mean he's clearly I mean he should be able to you know there's no there's not really any difference between playing right back and left back apart from that it's the other way around um, uh, obviously he's
4: uh, it would depend on how strong his left foot is
5: yeah but you know it's, it's not as though the, it's right footed left backs are unknown Philippe Lamb was able to do it I suppose if the player is good enough he's able to do it uh, and maybe there's the option of playing Coleman on the other side, you know, which isn't something we've seen Coleman do, I don't think. But, um, I he, okay, so he is obviously a more natural defender than Brady. Brady does have the left foot, and Brady also has the dead balls. I mean, being able to take free kicks and corners got Ian Hart 63 Ireland caps, you know,
4: and quite a few goals,
5: eleven, I think, mm. eleven goals. Um, so to have that in the team. I mean Brady's dead balls are consistently the most dangerous thing about Ireland. Whenever Brady's
4: on the field, and before he came on against uh, Scotland, we struggled. Mm. We just weren't. Delivering. I can't remember who's taking them. We, we, we just weren't delivering quality ball. And Robbie Brady comes on. Suddenly we get this header off a crossbar from a defender. Sure, but that's part of the part of the appeal of having a guy who can whip a ball in. You're as likely to get them. Just get the. the, the the defence flummox as you are for one of your forwards to head a ball?
5: Absolutely. So, you know, I think I think that maybe is going to be one of the changes. I think it definitely should be. I mean, we'll wait and see. Right, so
4: you think, okay, as in Christie at left back. Yeah. I, I think he's we're, I think a new left back. And um, what about McGoldrick? Has he done enough? I think he has. To get straight into the team? Yeah. What? I think so, yeah. So he's, so where they don't fully trust Wes hulin in a way, fix yeah. they might trust. Well, that's the, that's the thing. McGoldrick. So, I mean, I mean,
5: what McGoldrick Demonstrated. I mean, maybe he had a particularly good game. You, know, you have to wait and see, I suppose, if we can reproduce this consistently. But what he demonstrated was a kind of a combination of some of the qualities that, uh, that our other strikers have, but not all at the same time, if you see what I mean. So, um, a little bit of speed, the ability to hold the ball under pressure from a defender, which you could say are the qualities that Chain Long has. Um, or John Wal- John Walters maybe not so much the speed, but also good feet and an ability to play others in, which are the kind of qualities that Wes Hoolahan has. Yeah. Um, if you've got, if you're combining those qualities in one player, and he can play up front or can play behind the, another striker, that's a player that we've needed for a long time.
4: Sure, this was a, v- a very underperforming USA team, though. That's true. And this is a, a championship player. Well, um, th- th- that shouldn't rule him out by any means, but we I
5: haven't mean, really seen him play
4: at a particularly high level. No,
5: yet. we haven't. But you know, bear in mind the, the American team is, is a decent team. I've I, I saw them at the fully, World Cup. Yeah, now we're it was fully a motivated there. It was a different. Yeah. Okay, it's a different team and it's a di- totally different occasion. Um, it was still the biggest win by any international in any international friendly played that night. I mean, there was a bunch of international friendlies all over the all over the place. Ireland's performance was particularly good. I mean, you could say, well, it's just a friendly; it doesn't matter. Or you could say, well, you know, hang on a second, maybe we should be looking at why we played particularly well there and try and incorporate yeah. some of that. You know, otherwise, let's, otherwise, let's not bother playing these friendlies. The other thing about this friendly, um, the other sort of significant thing. Uh, I mean, Martin O'Neill said a few things. after. You know, he was delighted with Christy. He was praising the new guys. He was saying, I knew they wouldn't let us down, you know, this kind of stuff. And yeah. um, he seemed happy with what he saw. Um, the other thing was that was what was going on behind the goal, behind the South goal, uh, uh, where the fans, this was obviously the first home game since the um, whole ticketing fiasco that we re- were reporting on mm-hmm. a couple of weeks back. Um, and the U-Boys and Green fans group obviously we sort of leading the charge on that one. weren't happy with what happened with a lot of the fans, regulars at away matches being passed over for tickets for this Scotland match when, you know, this big match came along. Uh, and there were protests at the game. Um, and there were some banners. Uh, I don't know whether they were shown on television. You could see um, you could see there was one, Failures and Liars, uh, FAI. Uh, the FAI failures being initialed so everybody understood the um, what the reference was there. Um, fans after Income, I think was another one. Um, again, F-A-I.
4: Oh, we got there, Ken. Yeah, you know, know, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I've seen, seen where you are going with it.
5: Uh, and, and chanting. Uh, John, chanting about John Laney. The same chant that the Scottish fans were singing about Aidan McGeady for large uh, tracks of the match on Friday was re- repurposed by the Ireland fans about... Uh, John Delaney, not the one about him being that weed trader from Castle Milk, uh, wouldn't have made a huge amount of sense. A simpler one, and um, yeah, we want Delaney out. We want Delaney out. This kind of thing. And um, but what you noticed then was all of these stewards um, uh, sort of being being able to pack the aisles there. In that, in that, we're talking about the lower tier of the stand behind the goal. And according to the fans who were in there. Uh, and there's a video up you can you can see some of the stewards taking away banners mm. uh, stewards you know apparently um trying to throw people out um, according to a statement from he wasn't green in, intimidation and manhandling a completely unnecessary escalation of tension there was even guards in there as well uh <laughs> with the um you boys in green said, it must be noted this section had never been involved in any behavior that attracted guard the presence in the past. This level of security was specifically targeted at this section and was not replicated around the ground. That's true, because you can see it clearly. They're wearing luminous jackets. You can see where the security is. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't anywhere else. Uh, supporters are collecting video and photographic evidence of these events and are considering formal complaints over the behavior of stadium personnel. So is, there
4: I- is the issue of the supporters chiefly that they weren't allowed to protest that the banners were taken away or more the manner of the what they call an over the top manner
5: well both i think yeah. um you know i mean it's it's ridiculous it's a fo- it's a football match you know the idea that you are policing certain chants you know there was some suggestion that the guards were worried a water protest was going to break out <laughs> you know <laughs> a water protest you know they so got that's an issue of state security you know you got so yeah look not a, not a good um, not not, not a good situation for John Delaney. When you consider how uh, his popularity seemed to have the momentum of a runaway freight train uh, in Soapot, you know, when he was being, what was his quote in the Sunday Independent? What happened there was I was carried head high back to my hotel by a group of around 200 fans. If that's a crime, I'm not guilty. Doesn't make any sense really, because I mean, if it was a crime, then I'm guilty is the usual, is the usual phrase there when he said, I'm not guilty. And um, Seemed as though his, he was popular with a lot of supporters back yeah. then. Even though not everybody, I, I, I don't think, was had the same view on that. There was, I mean, if you look at the YouTube videos, I mean, there's a mix of comments underneath.
4: Um, but you got the sense from some of the fans who went on a lot of those trips. I mean, hey, I say they all love being bought beer yeah. on the train to Slovakia. We did an interview with John Delaney in front of a big crowd a, a number of years ago, and I uh, had about twenty or so lads along with them who were. Raising the roof for him. Oh, they, they were, They seem yeah. like the hardcore football fans.
5: I remember there was a heckle uh, during that when we were asking John Delaney some... You, given that he's Ireland's top football administrator, we asked him some questions related to his administration of Irish football. And um, one of the lads shouted out, it's a football show, not an economics show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, To lusty applause John, by his uh, 19 buddies. John Delaney... Um, Warned us that we were boring the audience with these uh, questions about football administration. Maybe, maybe he was right, and maybe, maybe we judged it wrong. So he,
4: so he, there, there's a certain uh, level of fans there, are a certain um, amount of fans anyway who who have the the point here is that you think that the some of the supporters who generally have been quite with John Delaney might be... Well I,
5: well, I would say that John Delaney uh, has kind of became this uh, charismatic um, man of the people football administrator largely on the away trips. You know what I mean? I mean, in the, in the home trips, like, I suppose he's he's got a more like a presidential type of role where maybe there's dignitaries and so on and he's in Dublin, you know, he's on his home turf and he's got to Entertain all these these people, whereas on the away trips he's free more to commune with the masses. You see what I mean? I mean, well, by by the masses, I mean a couple of hundred Ireland fans who go along to these things. So he's he's kind of maybe free more to to uh, if they are at a bar or something to maybe buy them a couple of pints or whatever. What's the what's the problem with that? Uh, and so maybe that was where his. That was where that sort of that side of Delaney began to emerge. So it was largely among those supporters. Now I'm not I'm not for a minute saying that all of these Ireland away fans, you know, were, you know, worship worshipful of John Delaney. As a result of this, I'm sure there was a mix of mix of views. Some of them liked him, some of them, you know, um, but it does appear that since this Scotland thing, there has been a bit of a hardening of of attitude right. uh, there. So. What's
4: Martin O'Neill been saying?
5: Yeah, I mean, just they, they didn't let us down. Um, he's talking about maybe 3-5-2. Um, to get our best players in the field, we might have to look at a 3-5-2 formation at home, which I think is possible.
2: That would be good news for Robbie Brady, presumably.
5: Yeah, Brady's a wing-back, maybe. Um, McLean, maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen McLean play wing-back. He's a player that O'Neill likes. And if we were to play 3-5-2, I couldn't see him in any other position other than left wing-back which he does at least have the power the kind of stamina mm. yeah, to play. Yeah, it's
4: his kind of... It's playing to his strength Yeah, imagine. he's a
5: big... He's like a big... It really suit James' game if a football pitch was as big as a GAA pitch. You know, if it was an 11-man game on a pitch <laughs> twice as large, then... <laughs> it's all he, about co- all covering ground. He's he's, he's just a big-scale type of player. Yeah. I can imagine him running across the savannah, no problem. Uh, whereas... Some of the intricacies of the small play. Your hooligans, yeah. you know, your... Uh, you know, there he's he's more of a kind of a shrew, a shrewish type. I can imagine him ducking and diving among blades of grass, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. If you if you brought the pitch down, you know, s- squeezed it down quite mm-hmm. a lot, uh, so it was the size of an alley, you know, uh then Wes Houlihan might start to really shine in that situation. But look, this is what he said. O'Neill says, the problem with all these things, if you want to be really technical about it, this is Martin O'Neill, gets seriously technical here, so, you know, get your... uh Get your on. On. Yeah, he says, Is that sometimes centre halves don't really like to go out to fullback positions? <laughs> but I'm not so sure the players we have here will be reluctant to do it as long as we practiced. So there you go. I, I, I see what he means, absolutely. Uh, Mart- Roberto Martinez, the man who, who um, uh, Roy Keane maybe had a bit of a pop at on Sunday, um, suggesting that, well, not just Martinez, Everton in general. Martinez is the Everton manager, a man who's standing up for the interests of Everton Football Club. Was attempting to minimise uh, the risk of injury or exhaustion posed to his players by international football by suggesting maybe don't play in those games. Mm. Martinez says this is completely nonsense. Uh, he says uh, we have good relationship with Martin O'Neill. We keep in touch frequently and share information. We're always very proud when our players represent their countries. The record shows that each player at our club is desperately proud to represent their countries. A lot has been said. A lot is nonsense. The reality is the conversation between the managers of the associations and ourselves has been good and will continue to be.
4: Oh, as in the assistant manager? Wait, well, he didn't, didn't say Not that. about but assistant managers. Yeah, assistant managers stay out of this.
5: The only thing I care about is the players. We had four players in the Republic of Ireland squad who are incredible characters who just love to play for their country. It's disappointing when you see some news that could put that in doubt all the fans in the Republic of Ireland and other nations should know these players will give their lives to represent their countries. That's something we're very proud of. Just not their hamstrings.
2: We really don't want them to die on duty. We just want them to play the important qualifier games. That's basically all we we ask.
4: Yeah, I I like that they're in the squads. I mean, yeah, they're in the squads and then they're returning to Everton before the games start.
5: Yeah. Um, Clear scans, everything great, but they will give their lives. Uh, And look... Hopefully, hopefully Martinez has been totally upfront and, and means every word he says there about that, because that's great news for Ireland.
4: Uh, Sepp Blatter.
5: Just uh, um, this ongoing thing about the FIFA report. Uh, essentially, Sepp Blatter, um, Greg Dyke, uh, the chairman of the FA in England, wrote to um, the members of the FIFA executive committee demanding the publication of the report. Sepp Blatter says, OK, maybe we'll think about that. <laughs> But uh, first of all, we would require you in England, the FA in England, to waive any uh, right of legal action that you might have to take as a result of some of the dynamite <laughs> in here about you becoming public. How about that? So he's essentially challenging the FA. Okay, you, you want this report to come out? Do you really want that to come out? I didn't, I didn't think anyone really wanted that to happen. But hey, if you're saying that really has to happen, then let's do it. But you've got a promise that you can't sue about anything, because I don't think you're going to like some of this stuff that's in here. And uh, we await the FA's <laughs> response. <laughs> nice. we, we await the FA's response. So that's the latest thing. Um, just the last thing on is a book uh, that's coming out today. Uh, uh, oh, Louis, it's called by Hugo Borst. Um haven't read it yet. I've read a little bit of it. Um, it's about Louis van Hal. It's by Dutch. It seems to be quite good actually based on what I've read. Just in terms of it's interesting. It's really interestingly written. Um, first chapter of it has Louis it's in Euro two thousand and four and they're all all you know some journalists and what mm. Louis van Hal's doing commentary for some Dutch TV channel in Euro two thousand and four. They're hanging out in some Portuguese holiday home type place, drinking wine. Wine, Sprite and Lime A mix a mixture of that.
2: Kind of like a West Coast cooler kind of thing they're going for, is it? Have you
5: ever had that? I might try that. No, kind of, no, mm. no
2: I've, I've seen people drink it though, and they they seem to like it.
5: Might be hard on the stomach. I thought. <laughs> doesn't say, it, I, doesn't yeah,
2: say maybe my two bag. or three glasses can to be honest.
5: One of them says, "Oh, this wine." Uh, someone makes the rather the rather crude joke. I'm sorry that I have to say this, but you know, it's just it it tastes. It, this wine tastes like Figo's piss. This <laughs> is one of the Dutch journalists, and Van Halter sort of refers to it. Says Figo, like he's not sure. He's mm-hmm. not sure if that's the right player yeah um, he but it goes on to say he the, one of the guys says oh this is a lovely sort of patio here they're on this kind of sun patio Van Hal's like patio I don't know I don't know <laughs> if that's the right word and then uh, and this van Hal is there saying there is a touch of the rancho about this place uh, hmm and he's kind of thinking about this and then you know he's drinking bacardi and Coke apparently bacardi and Coke is his favorite drink and he's, he, he he drinks a couple of those and then much later on, he suddenly goes, Parador. It's a Parador. And and they're like, what? And he says, a Parador. In Spain, this place, a place like this is called a Parador. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's the very first uh, chapter. And I suppose you can see from that the type of, uh, he's a guy who's concerned with precision. You know, he likes things to be correct. Um, There's another little bit in where a guy is talking about, you know, a guy who knows Van Hal, saying, look, if you've given your whole life to the study of... Talking about why he gets quite irritable with journalists all the time in, in press conferences. If you've given up your entire life to the study of this game, and each, even just one football match is an incredibly complex entity with a hell of a lot going on, you've spent your entire life, decades and decades, studying this and getting to know as much as you possibly can about it. Any conversation with a layman, which effectively a journalist is by comparison, even if he's been doing it a long time as well, is is... Insufferable, (laughs) so annoying. You know, you're an idiot. Like, what? You're an idiot. But the interesting thing about Van Hal is that, unlike most of the guys who just kind of go, yeah, you know, whatever, like Martin O'Neill say, they're like, yeah, yeah, great, yeah, Mm, yeah, great. You know, he just that's his approach. Van Hal actually can't help himself. You know, his face goes red, and he actually starts engaging in in an argument, which almost brings the journalist up to his level in a way. It's almost flattering to to be uh, to be trashed like yeah. this in front of uh, here, here the, I
4: am shooting the shit about football with, with like, you know a great
5: uh, yeah so I'm sure we'll uh, we'll okay. be hearing a bit more f-
4: from that right about time to read it that's the end of ken early's report on sport
1: a flame hair flame hair of truth mr ken
4: early mr ken early
5: Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about on yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers.
4: That's where it comes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe.
3: How much do give a
4: fuck? Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course
3: not. Let me show you right now For you give it up. Ah!
4: ESPN's John Bruin was at Celtic Park on Tuesday night, John, for the Scotland-England game. We made reference to this anti-IRA chant. How did it actually get going?
3: Well, um, the blame, I suppose, well, the blame, uh, the, the England band, uh, a controversial group, shall we say, um, started playing the song. Now, I don't know the origins of this song, but it's the it's the tune of that Manchester United fans used to sing, you know, the Viva Ronaldo one. Yeah, um, it's, it's,
5: they sing it at uh, Portugal national team games, Portugal, so I think Man United fans adapted it from that for Ronaldo.
3: Right, okay, yeah, sure. And um, I think uh, the, the lyrics to it actually, in, in the more palatable ones are something like Play Up England or something like that. Um, yet, uh, well, it, you can't even call it a vocal minority. A significant proportion of the 5,000 English fans started singing, well, you know what they started singing, uh, so about the IRA, um, and the strange thing was that the band kept playing along with it, so about 10, 15 minutes of us hearing uh, this about the IRA, which, of course, uh, it was a game between England and Scotland, which I think uh, looking around, um, I, I was obviously towards the, in the press room, but a press end, and I was sat near the director's box widespread bemusement among the home support, it has to be said, at that being so.
5: Yeah, and especially with the band providing what sounded <laughs> like official <laughs> official backing. <laughs> or, I mean, what, what were the band thinking? Has, has anybody, uh, have, we, have we heard anything from them in the, in the 48 hours that have elapsed?
3: Well, I'm not sure about the band. I imagine they're lying pretty low, but, I mean, <laughs> there was a briefing given afterwards by uh, the FA's media chaps that just sort of said, they said that somebody texted one of the band members or called them and said, you cannot play along with that song, which they did repeatedly during the first half. Now, um, the band is an irritant to many fans, uh, many people that attend the England Games. I remember there was a controversy about them over at Euro 2012, wasn't there, where they weren't going to be let into games. And um, what was interesting about that debate was that there seemed to be a fairly loud group of people who didn't want the band anywhere near the game. Um, it's... there. Are, OK, I'll, I'll say it. They're a bloody racket, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I really wouldn't want them anywhere near the game. Uh, if this ha- proves to be the end of them, then I don't think I'd be alone in saying that that's a good thing. Why is that? Um, because
4: yeah, cause Ken, i be with you here as well. I know uh, you're not a massive fan, Ken, but why... I mean, other there are other countries, other football cultures who seem to incorporate music and bands in quite a successful way. What's wrong with the the English band? I'll ask you that, Ken.
5: You ask me. Well yeah. because the English fans actually can sing songs. They're probably one of the only groups of fans who do that. Uh, I mean, if I've been at French, say the France international team, and the fans just sit there. So they need a guy going, Di, did li, did li, you know, <laughs> they 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 need guys down the front of the uh, stand sort of who, who don't look at the match at all and who are kind of orchestrating the crowd in, in songs. Do the, uh, 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 the English
4: national team fans really sing that many the songs? English,
5: the English fans can sing. Okay, oftentimes there's, there's a limited enough repertoire to the national team. It's often the case with a national team compared to a club team. But the band itself, is it alien to the culture of English of English uh, football support, John?
3: Well, they're, they're just tuneless as well. They're just not very good. I mean, I don't mind a band if they're a good band, but this is a a terrible band, and they've got such a limited repertoire. It's
5: the, it's a, they play uh, the Great Escape all the time. Or is the, or is it, what is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's the <it's laughs> Great Escape, and the
3: thing is like, it was, uh, the, the origins of that are from teams that were going to be relegated who escaped. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Uh, but unfortunately when it's England then that has definite connotations doesn't it it has a connotations of the second world war and then you get on to songs like two world wars and one world cup and it all just adds to this image of English fans now I'll say this you know I was in Glasgow uh, really looking forward to that fixture and I have to say I found my stomach turned a little bit by the IRA songs and the behaviour of English fans in Scotland now the Scottish, the answer that their answer to it is that the Scottish booed the national anthem, which to me seemed a little bit like a sort of pantomime type of thing. It didn't really, it shouldn't have offended anybody. Uh, Scotland and England have a historic rivalry, but let's face it, the country has been together for centuries. Um, but this gave rise to them decided to be provocative, uh, to be insulting. And to be quite honest, behave like a bunch of idiots. And you know, England England fans away are not actually the fans that you might see at Premier League grounds. How do you mean? Well, because the makeup of the the demographic of the fans are from smaller clubs. Now, I was sat on the plane coming back to London last night, and uh, a group of Aldershot and Portsmouth fans were talking about the great trip they'd had. Uh, and you look at the flags in the crowd and their teams like Macclesfield, I mean, Aldershot, Halifax, Halifax Town, some non-league, you know, teams even further down the league. When this you say
5: is, when you say the great trip they had, what do you, how, do you, how do you mean?
3: Well, they got into a bit of aggro uh, in the town centre. Uh, there was a fight in a hotel, which a couple of them seemed to be talking about. Uh, there was discussion of the fact that uh, a couple of their friends had been arrested and had a, were in court that day at 1pm. Uh, and they were waiting for... Actually, when we got off the flight, they, were, they one of them got a text from his mate to say how he got on in his court case. This seemed to be a cause of great celebration for these chaps. This chats. stuff
4: still goes on, John. What, what age group are we talking about here?
3: I mean, they were probably, I'd say late 20s early 30s right okay um, there, there was a, there was one guy on the plane who was in his early 50s who I'll say this uh, see, there seems to be a certain amount of reverence for this chap okay. so obviously an experienced campaigner let's put it that way all right so there's
4: a little bit so there's more of this stuff still goes on that uh, I hadn't been aware of it to to that extent really that uh, just it's just it's a little bit of a surprising story to us that England fans would bother it's it's just why would they bother with this sort of chanting? But against the background of there still being a bit of an element there uh, before and after games, it makes a bit more sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, ahead of the game, uh, I know the Scottish police were quite worried that there had been some sort of arranged meet up between fans. I mean, the last time they met up there was in nineteen ninety nine Euro t- uh, two thousand qualifier. There was, I think, there was five hundred arrests, maybe or might, might have been less than that two hundred. This time, a, a far less. But when I did flick through the paper, there had been a fight at a hotel where several people had been arrested, which does tally with the uh, conversation yeah. I overheard. Yeah. Um, th- there's a mentality of these of, of, of some of these fans, which is that they, they're they like some sort of conquering army or something like that. Now, in Scotland, uh, it's rather easier because uh, you don't need a passport to go yeah, there. Yeah, they
5: can't do that. There's no travel there. They can't apply any travel ban.
3: Well, quite, yeah. There there was some talk of banning orders and things like that. Now, the thing is, if you go to a World Cup in, say, South Africa or Japan or uh, Brazil, they can't travel because their passports are confiscated. And also, if you get in trouble in a country like that, the chances of you coming back are quite, you know, you don't really want to end up in a Brazilian jail. And so people tend to behave themselves a bit better. And obviously certain people are priced out of making these trips anyway. But it seems that the trip over to Scotland was going to be a big day out for the England fans to show and remind what a force they can be.
5: Yeah. And I mean, there was, I mean, the IRA chance obviously are are kind of slightly bizarre. I mean, historically illiterate. Uh, No one's quite sure where they're coming from. Um, There was also a chance of British till you die. You'll be British till you die. From the England fans. Uh, well, uh, I
3: suppose that's more topical, isn't it? I mean, that's a <laughs> reference to the uh, the <laughs> I, referendum.
5: Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see some that, of them have
3: actually read a newspaper, which surprised me. But there you go. The the uh, in terms of the IRA, uh,
5: the IRA one, though. I mean, I remember back in the day, England fans used to chant about this kind of stuff, uh, you know, no surrender and so on. But that was when there was a you know a, a, a war going on um and you got the feeling that a lot of them really meant what they were saying you know they were kind of into it they were they were into um this sort of uh, you know loyalist politics or whatever whatever it was Comet 18 or you know just didn't really didn't like the IRA which is completely understandable um, yeah. whereas now uh it's i wonder why they're still bringing is it were they just sort of trolling the Scots in, in a way was it kind of an empty uh, attempt at Provoking, um, you know, some reaction from the Scots, as opposed to, uh, you know, the England fans giving vent to something which they genuinely felt in their hearts.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned the the, the, the age of the, these lads that I, I came across, and let's face it, the IRA haven't been active certainly in in over here since you know the late nineties. But, but at the latest, um, yeah, it's an obst- It's almost like an abstract bogeyman that they wanted to address. I do think uh, one of the things that was said was the fact that it was at Parkhead, which is Celtic Stadium. Uh, I listened to a radio phone-in yesterday in which some of them tried to explain away this by saying that Celtic fans sing songs that back the IRA and Sinn Féin, therefore uh, it's okay for us to do it. I mean, the old classic two wrongs making a right, that one always works, doesn't it? Um, You know, I I, I do think that certain... Well, these people want to involve themselves, feel like they're involved in some kind of conflict, when actually there really isn't one to be had. I mean, the thing is, they're not even inventive enough to associate. I mean, what would be the modern day bogeyman that they could attack these days? It would be something like ISIS or something. Hmm. Maybe that doesn't scan into a song just yet. Maybe that might be, maybe that might be the next thing that they uh, try and attack. But it, it's. It, 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 trolling, I think, is probably a good way to look at yeah. it. They, they tried to provoke, but as I said before, I looked around to see what kind of reaction there was and the people most upset by it were the English who were actually sat there thinking, I don't wish to be associated with these people. Uh, and the Scots were just bemused, shaking their heads with laughter.
4: John, we'll keep an ear out for the anti-ISIS chants, backed by that uh, wonderful uh, melodic uh, English supporters band You don't seem to be for the time being. <laughs> John Bruin, great stuff, thank you. Cheers. That element that exists, that still seems to exist within England fans, it's funny because uh, I was wondering why it resurfaced at this particular game, aside from just the local derby element to it. Uh, I guess you brought it up in one of the questions. It's that there's no travel restrictions, or certainly mm. less
5: travel restrictions. One nation, yeah, indivisible.
4: Exactly, yeah. Um, so that is one.
2: That is, I mean, so the c- Scots basically got what they asked for.
5: Yeah, look, this is. Well, that's, I mean, if, the, if
2: only they'd voted for independence. As
5: the English um, wasted no time in telling them, mm. uh, British till you die. Mm. You're British till I'm you sure, die.
2: I presume 48 uh, of the of the crowd booed that lustily. <laughs> Whereas the other 52, percent <laughs>
5: I think it was it was
4: 45 55 in the end. You know, it was a okay. resounding enough result. We don't want to uh, uh, scaremonger here, or um, well, scaremonger is probably the correct term. But England do come over to play Ireland yes. in the Viva Stadium, in June the seventh, f- in a few months' time, June the seventh. Uh, and the last thing anyone wants is anything to do with. Um, Anything like that, really? No, the, I mean, yeah, think you last, can travel
5: to Ireland with that passport as well, can't you? You can hop on the you ferry. You need photo ID. Yeah, you can show your extra vision card or whatever <laughs> to to get on. Do you still have an extra vision? Well, card? Uh, no, it's quite something. But you, you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it, I don't think you need. You, I don't yeah. think you definitely don't need a passport to go on the ferry.
2: Um, Ken unfortunately
4: still has. Uh, one of those old Bruce Lee movies from about 1997 yeah. that he never returned. It's so he really, has the card. That's really
2: totten up, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Sir, that'll be 25,000 euro. He, he rented out Candyman. The in game, incidentally, kicks
5: off at half 11 what, in the morning. What, what game? Uh, Ireland against England.
4: Oh, here's Louis van Hal here coming back to previous details. <laughs> <laughs> we were <only> talking <laughs> the about, about 10 gone. seconds ago. 11.30 um,
5: <laughs> th- in the morning on what on day? Su- Sunday morning. Oh. Half 11 on Sunday morning we'll have to go. The godless horde of uh, yeah. Ireland supporters. What about
2: mass, yeah, bloody uh, hell.
5: Yeah, you have to. You can get mass in at nine. It can, it can yeah. Get mass at nine.
2: Well, you would. Maybe you
5: to, can go to the Saturday mass.
4: Well, or alternative- although the,
5: cha- the Champions League final is on the previous day. See. So yeah. Saturday mass is probably out. Oh, that means the
4: Heineken Cup is on around At least that's going to be a busy couple of days. That's all we know. Arsenal yeah. against Manchester United uh, kicks off. It's a half five kickoff on Saturday, and Jonathan Wilson joins us to chat about it. Jonathan, just on well, Arsenal first of all, I mean, this, they make this amazing sign of a uh, signing of Alexis Sanchez, possibly the find the find of the season, but the signing of the uh, of the season so far, and yet, and he. Performs really well. This is an area that Wenger has struggled in a little bit in recruiting the best players in recent times. But yet, the still the team has no consistency. How do you marry those two factors up?
1: Uh, because Sanchez, uh, yes, yeah, you say he's been superb, but he wasn't really in the position where where they needed the strength. Thing. I mean, it, you know, the, the flaws in defence and in the back of midfield are so obvious. I, mean, I don't know if you saw the story earlier this week, but Wojciech Szczesny was saying that when he plays FIFA. Uh, on his playstation he sells himself to buy to buy a holding midfielder. so <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean that that's how bad a problem it is. and you you sort of think you're looking ahead to Saturday Arteta's sitting I mean, maybe Flamini will come in but um probably Arteta's sitting by himself in front of the back four and Rooney who's you know, in, in a great vein of form three goals and two games for England sitting in that space just behind a center forward or maybe two center forwards. He's going to, going to revel in that. It's very hard to see how how Arteta can stop him.
5: What about young Jack Wilshere, um, the Andre Pirlo of the English team? Uh, he's been reinvented in that position by Roy Hodgson. Why not for Arsenal?
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's a very good point. He's—I um, have to say—I was sceptical about whether he could do that for England, but um, certainly, yeah, you know, the the last two games he, he's done very very well there. Um, whether against more technical teams, teams who take the game to England more than Slovenia did. I mean, the Scotland game is a bit different. But uh, whether when he's under a bit more defensive pressure he, he can do that, I, mean, I think that's another question to be answered. But he's certainly shown some aptitude for that uh, and maybe that's something that, that Wenger needs to be looking at. That Maybe you play, I don't know, a three at the back of midfield with, with him and Ramsey and, and, and Arteta and, and you hope the combination of the three of them has enough energy and enough enough ball winning quality to you know, to form a barrier there.
5: You mentioned Ramsey um or this time last year he was the best player in the league uh, and obviously his form was kind of cut short by uh, an injury which put him out for a couple of months. This season, he he hasn't really been the same uh, player, has he? I mean, well, he he hasn't certainly hasn't been the same player in terms of he hasn't been scoring a goal in every match, which he was doing this time last year. It's, un- it's unreasonable to expect him to keep that up. But generally speaking, his uh, his performances have been nowhere near as influential. What's what's happened with him?
1: I think it is just a dip of form. I think that's bound to happen. Um, yeah, you know, I think his form of, of this time a year ago was was absolutely exceptional. I think it's unrealistic to expect anybody to. To maintain that over a long period and plus he's had this you know the problem that all arsenal players have which is that he's got injured and, and so i mean with, with pretty much every arsenal player you always feel that they're just on the way back from injury they're not quite fully fit and just as they're getting there you maybe get a month of them at, at, at their peak and then they get another injury so i mean i, I don't think he's been terrible this season yeah he, i would agree he hasn't been as good as he was last year but um yeah, you know, I, I think to start blaming Ramsey or, or you know to start scapegoating, him, I think is is wrong. I think he's just not playing quite as well as he was a year ago, and probably in time it'll it'll come back.
4: Danny Welbeck, Jonathan is playing against his former club. There was always there's always the nagging, I guess, fear for United supporters that you sell a guy to a rival club, and it was talked about a lot at the time. He could potentially do damage to your, your your aspirations. It's it's a strange kind of record, and he got that hat trick so far. Verizon got that hat trick against Fenerbahce. He's only scored in two more games. Besides that, but it looks good on paper—five goals in twelve games—and I think Wenger has been pleasantly surprised by certain aspects of his play. How do you think he's gone so far?
1: Oh, I think he's played pretty well. I mean, um, the goal-scoring thing with Welbeck is always a—it's a little bit odd that you sort of remember some really bad misses and then you remember some really good finishes. I think he's—you know—he just blows hot and cold with that, and you've got to kind of accept that. Uh, you know, over over a long period of time, he'll he'll be decent but not brilliant as a goal scorer. He'll probably get you sort of fifteen goals a season. And I think that's that's fine. You know, he, he does a lot of other stuff as well. His his, his pace is a tremendous asset. Um, I think his movement is is very intelligent. Uh, I think he and Sanchez are signed to them working very well together. And you sort of imagine some some golden future when every Arsenal player is fit, and they have all these options up front. And you have Walcott fitting into that, and maybe Giroud fitting into that, and, and Ertel fitting into that, and and, and Casola. And that I think is is potentially very exciting. Um, so, uh, so yeah, his pace and movement, allied to just enough goals, I, I think, make him a, a valuable asset. And I think, yeah, he, he settled in fine.
5: Um, there's a new book out today about Louis van Gaal. It seems to be an unflattering biography by a Dutch journalist who had a falling out with him a few years back. Um, we, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that over the over the coming days. How do you assess how uh, Van Gaal's time so far has gone at Manchester United? Because he's been there now, joined in a few months. Um, and and I guess we should have started to see um, the the kind of imprint of of what he's trying to do there emerging on the field. But but actually, all we've seen is a lot of changes. I mean, they started off with three at the back; they've, they're onto their third formation now. I, I think of the season. And you know, do you detect the the emergence of a new a new identity there at Manchester United?
1: I think there's slight glimmers of it, but I think everything at United is is, is overshadowed by by the injuries they've had, which have been utterly freakish. I mean, normally when you get... I mean, I think there's 11 players either definitely out or or in doubt for, for Saturday's game, which is an extraordinary number. You think just over this international break, you know, De Gea has dislocated a finger, so, so he might be out. Um, Dali Blint uh, done his, his knee ligaments, so he's, he's definitely out. Um, Di De
5: Maria it, as well I might De, De Maria
1: got, got trodden on by, by Nani. There's, uh, there's somebody else as well, isn't there, who's... Um, oh, Carrick. For them, have lost over the international break, all to slightly freakish things. That when you, when you get an injury crisis like that, the tendency is to think, well, are they doing something wrong in training? Yeah, you know, well, I am. Well, that's the, to- that's, the,
5: that's the thing. I mean, that's the question I was going to ask you. Um, we know that. Uh, old Raymond Verheyen is never slow to let the world know when he thinks that <laughs> the coach is, is doing things wrong. And these are two coaches, Van Hal and Wenger, that he's been slaughtering, you know, saying these, uh, look at the injuries that they're getting. He's of the opinion that this is not random. They they, they keep getting loads of injuries, and it's not just, a, you know, the look of the draw. This is because they're doing all the wrong things in training. I mean, what do you think if that's... A, it's it's a kind of a weird one. Uh, In that, I I don't remember a few years ago anyone ever kind of bringing up a point like that, saying the reason that you're getting all these injuries. It it was always just put down to bad luck, really. What's your opinion of it? I
1: I think when they're the same type of injury, um, then you start to look at the training. I I know Newcastle had a lot of, under Graham Sooners, had a lot of um, knee injuries, and they, they decided that was something to do with the training pitch, and they changed the training pitch, and that seemed to clear the thing up. So I mean, whether that's a coincidence, whether that that was actually true, yeah, you that know, they they thought, hang on, we got a problem, and they they found a, a possible answer and, and and resolved it. I think with Arsenal, the fact that it's gone on for so long, you you've got to question the training. I think with United, I mean, how long has Van Hal really had with this side for for those methods to have an impact? If anything, you you would worry this is sort of a hangover of, of David Moyes' training regime, which Dutch Ray was <laughs> very critical of as well. Um, but I mean, a lot of these things are just freakish. You know, a, a goalkeeper dislocating a finger because he's caught a ball slightly badly—it's just one of those things that happens. I don't think that's going to do with training, uh, unless you suggest that somehow he hasn't done his finger strengthening exercises. A player getting trodden on by nanny is a, a freak. I mean, nanny making a tackle—what's I mean, the chance of that happening? So <laughs> um, yeah, Rocco dislocating his shoulder—I
4: mean, that's just falling badly. I,
1: I yeah, it's yeah, it's such is a, so, yeah, it is different,
4: different from soft tissue injuries or maybe knee knee ligaments problems, which could be put down to wear and tear brought about by incorrect training, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess it could be that the whole structure of a body is, is somehow uh, undermined by, by bad training methods. But I'd be inclined to think it's just incredibly bad luck with United. I mean, it's not like when Van hal has been at other clubs, they've suddenly lost... Yeah, you know, an entire team worth of players within the first three months. I, I think something freakish is. Yeah, it's just. I think it is just awful luck. Yeah. And and, and the, over the next sort of yeah two to three months, as those injuries start to start to clear up, and maybe they get another defender in in January, which I think has yeah, been a been an issue all, uh, all season so far. Then you might start to see you know a, a real United. But but I think there are glimmers there. I, mean, I think you know the. Defensively, I think they've been a lot better over the last sort of three or four weeks than than they were before. So I mean, there's some, there are some signs of Van Gaal having an, an effect, but I just think the injury crisis dominates everything. Who do you think is going to win? I th- well, Arsenal have a very, very good record at home. They're, you know, they're, they're unbeaten at home. I think since in the league since the the Villa game last season. I think I'm right in saying that, um, which is you know the opening day of last season, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I, still, just, I still have the sense United are about to take off.
4: Uh, so I think pretty tight, but I, I'd probably probably go for a narrow United win. Jonathan, enjoy. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. It's a good point raised by Jonathan. If you are looking to go down that route of Louis van Gaal's uh, torturous training regime, injures all his players, you probably need evidence based on his entire career to back it up as opposed to, yeah. why suddenly have the Manchester United players been the first group of the many many groups mm. that he's managed to start falling apart yeah
2: in fairness as he mentioned there as well I mean Guy dislocates his shoulder going for a header yeah. Guy dislocates his finger trying to catch a ball
4: well no but Jonathan maybe he, he might have been joking but maybe goalkeepers should be doing more finger strengthening exercises so as they don't injure their fingers
2: you know I've got a lot of respect for you on <laughs> so I'm just going to let that one Do you remember? Slide. <laughs> so there's, there's still still a good bit left over <laughs> There's still plenty more of that respect to go around. Do remember last you season's match
4: between these teams at the Emirates? Wasn't the one? It was, it was nil all. Two two teams, two once mighty British clubs, just two nervous wrecks. Yeah. Last season, it was, it was in full Moyes mode uh, for Manchester United. Arsenal were having a crisis of confidence, one of their many crises of confidence around that time. Yeah. I was looking at these two teams; that these guys are looking like they're. It was unbelievable. The it, was, it was really,
2: did, let's get through this game without body anyone lab, doing bad anything. Bad body language, bad yeah. play, just
4: bad everything.
2: Nil-all isn't going to end our season, isn't going to be the standout result of this game, of this uh, Senate result for the yeah. season. So let's just please get through this without yeah. calamity.
5: I think I think this is a really big game, though. Um, I mean, provided it isn't another, you know, inconclusive game like the one last year, the, another nil-nil, um, it has the potential to really affect, I think, whichever... Side wins, whichever side loses, it's it's a. I think it's a pivotal moment for both
4: teams. Murph, our P bezoers have been a little bit too quiet lately. will you We're just asking nice. them to just put a call out there? Please, I beg you,
2: I implore you all to email us here at
4: secondcaptains at irishtimes dot com. Uh, I don't want to have a go with these guys, Murph. I mean, they're you know, they're, they're a lot it's just of, you know maybe they got
2: complacent. Yeah. You know, maybe they just said, you know,
4: the guys don't need
2: don't not, don't need emails from me. We want to hear from all of you guys. We care about you. We love you. We miss you here on the old sod and uh, we want to hear what you crazy
4: bastards are getting up to. <laughs> Have a listen to the other show we put out there today. It features massive battles. Katie Taylor versus Sophia Oshikaba, Ireland versus Australia and Tiger Woods versus Dan Jenkins. <laughs> an, an 83-year-old journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger Woods versus an 84-year-old. And uh, That's the end of this one though, Ken. Thanks very much. Thank you too, huh? Thank you very much, Murph.
2: No, seriously, on Thanks
4: a million, man. Thank you. Murph's given the email <laughs> you, address there. Thank you, kid. You can also follow, follow us great. on Twitter at Second Captains. Thanks for listening. <laughs> is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those
1: those, those boys.
0: get.